Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans, and head on over to Walters. It's going to be a big-time homestand for the Nats, and everyone is gathering at Walters before, during, and after the games in the AC or under the covered streetery. Walters is the place to be. This week's reservations are going fast, including those for Sunday, July 4th, when Walters will be opening at 9 in the morning for the early game. Make your reservations now at waltersdc.com slash reservations. I got a chance to check out Walters in person this week, and let me tell you, it's going to be hopping this holiday weekend. Make sure to check out their self-poured beer wall while hanging out with friends and watch every major sporting event on their numerous TVs. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the set of the 0-1. Swing and a long drive to right. Soto back can only watch. It's going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Max Muncy puts that one over the Nationals' bullpen and into section 238 for a grand slam. And they now lead it 6-2. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, July 2nd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, for those of you who are married, you are familiar with the mantra of you have to pick your battles. As much as the Nationals strive to go 1-0 and every day, you can't go 1-0 and every day. And sometimes you have to let discretion be the better part of valor. And the Nationals on Thursday night, as the rain came and the team was down 6-2 and the Nats were already into their patchwork bullpen with making use of a patchwork infield, I don't know that the Nats said, hey, let's go ahead and cancel the rest of this game. But I tend to think the Nats probably didn't put up too much of a fight as the game ended up being called after five innings. A 6-2 rain-shortened Nationals loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park in game one of a four-game series. You never like to lose, but a loss like this one, Mark, I think in a lot of ways may have actually been good for the Nats in terms of the longer haul as we head to the All-Star break. Yeah, I agree with you on this one, Al. I think this is one of those lose the battle, try to win the war situations. Now, let's let everyone know, to be clear here, the Nats had no say in the game being called. At that point, it's the umpires and it's MLB that are calling it. And it was an official game. Five innings were complete. But like you said, I don't think the Nats would have been too upset. And if they had put up a big fight over it, maybe they waited out. That field, it's still, you know, we are two hours since the delay and one hour since they called it off as we're taping this. And while the field appears to be okay, the warning track is still like underwater. So that was pretty major stuff. And it's still raining. It's not completely stopped. So 
any idea of them being able to try to finish this game, I think, was foolish. And are you really going to burn up four more innings of relievers and try to win a game that you're now trailing by four runs with Alex Avila as your second baseman and try to get through that? No, I think this was the wise course of action, and it may help them in the long run. Now, if you want to get into the opposite of that and say they should have done everything they could to try to win this game, that's where I think there's an interesting question is should Davey Martinez have pulled Patrick Corbin after four innings and put Brad Hand in for the fifth, knowing the rain was coming and trying to close it out and treating the fifth inning like the ninth inning? We can get into that if you want here in a little bit. I think that's really interesting. I mean, obviously, you're doing a little bit of fortune telling in doing that because you never know with this stuff. But it did seem like the groundskeeper who kept going out to the home plate umpire, or at least to the crew chief, had a very good inkling of what was coming with the weather. So that would have been a fascinating thing to see had the Nats done that. I could not have killed them for doing that, especially with the way old Corby unraveled in that top of the fifth inning. More on that momentarily. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned the state of the warning track. Could you imagine had they tried to resume this game? All of the talent in terms of outfielders on these two teams, right? Like for the Nationals, right? Juan Soto and Kyle Schwarber, Victor Robles even, Mookie Betts for the Dodgers, Cody Bellinger for the Dodgers. There's no way those teams would have let those guys on that kind of a warning track with the state of things. You call the game, you got three more games coming up, you live to play another day. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It was the right call in all regards. And as disappointing as that is for the Nats, you say, let's save our bullets and let's go try to win behind Max Scherzer on Friday and just accept that this is a a tough loss. I think the only part of this that really makes it tough is that they were up 2-1 after four. And there was maybe an opportunity to win the game and all of a sudden it just slipped away from them in in about a span of five batters in the top of the fifth. I think that's the frustrating part. But once that was done, I think you say, hey, The odds of coming back to win this game if we somehow resume are pretty slim. It's not worth whatever other risks are involved. Take the L, move on to Friday. Yeah, and as great as the Nats' offense has been lately, the trend overall this season has been the Nats don't do a lot of scoring in the latter innings. Nats now 40-39. and The Mets did lose on Thursday night, a 4-3 loss at the Atlanta Braves. As Jacob deGrom gave up three runs in seven innings. What's wrong with him? Jeez, get rid of the guy. He did, though, have 14 strikeouts versus no walks. So the Nats still are two games behind the National League East leading Mets, though now just a game and a half ahead of the Braves for second in the NL East. Well, we'll get to Patrick Corbin, but I don't think anything was more fascinating with this game from a Nationals perspective than this reconfigured infield. Trey Turner, who, as we talked about in the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast, jamming his left middle finger and sliding into third base on the triple that gave him the cycle and that 15-6 win over Tampa Bay at Nats Park on Wednesday. Jordy Mercer in that game suffered a cramp in his right quadriceps. And so the Nationals for this game won against the Dodgers on Thursday night, incredibly, had Alex Avila as the team starting second baseman, Josh Harrison as the team starting third baseman, and Starling Castro as the team starting shortstop. Is this truly the ultimate sign of the Nationals' lack of depth this season? Or was this more so just a confluence of a number of things, the stars aligning to where the Nats had no choice but to put their backup catcher as their starting second baseman? This was a pretty incredible confluence of events. There's an argument to be made that, yes, there is a lack of depth and maybe the fact that they have been going with a short bench for a couple of weeks now came back to haunt them as well. But there were a lot of things that had to happen to end up with Alex Avila at second base. So let's run through this. Trey Turner, you know, was hoping to come back, but his finger was still swollen. And so they realized probably can't do it. Going to have to wait a day or two for that. Jordy Mercer 
his quadriceps were still sore and couldn't get it loosened up. And so he wasn't good to go. Now, they were trying to get them ready and the decision wasn't made, I'm told, until about 5.30 for the seven o'clock game when they finally told Avila, hey, guess what? You're playing second base tonight. They had warned him that that was a possibility before that, but they didn't know for sure until 5.30. Now, the failure, it would seem on this is if you knew you had two infielders who might not be available to you, why not get somebody down here from AAA just in case, even if you don't have to call them up? And here's where the bizarre confluence events occurred. Luis Garcia is on the minor league injured list. Adrian Sanchez is on the minor league injured list. Carter Keboom is not on the minor league injured list, but apparently he just hurt his knee sometime in the last 24, 48 hours. And so he was not available. I think they tried or they thought that was what they were going to do. And he was not available. Jackson Clough, who's at double A, is apparently injured. So they basically had no other infielder in the system that they could even call upon if they wanted to. And it's why, as we're taping this late on Thursday night, I think Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez are working the phones and trying to figure out what they're going to do for Friday. And I think there's going to be somebody here. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it is somebody else from within the system or maybe even somebody from outside the system that they're going to try to get here on Friday to make sure this doesn't happen again. It was amazing to see this. I mean, you will see guys play out of position at times. I can't say that I can ever remember seeing a backup catcher be called upon to play second base like that. That was really odd. And, you know, you could argue all of this mixing and matching cost the Nats, especially in the Dodgers one run fourth inning. Josh Harrison of bobbling the baseball and a grounder commits a throwing error and throwing too high to Alex Avila at second base on a Justin Turner's fielder's choice in that Dodgers one run fourth. And it was almost comical when you look at the replay. I mean, Avila tried, I give him credit, but he tries to do this like acrobatic tag of Chris Taylor as Taylor sliding into second base. And, you know, you can just see with Avila, like, he doesn't have the flexibility. He's not a second baseman, you know? This isn't Javier Baez playing a middle infield position here. It's Alex Avila, who made his major league debut in 2009. He had never played second base, and yet in a game against the Dodgers, he's asked to do this. I guess that was one of the thoughts that crossed my mind, too. The Dodgers are the ultimate example of having great depth. The Dodgers bludgeon you with their depth. And the Nationals, as well as they've played lately, this is still not an ultra-deep team. And so you really had that juxtaposition on display, I thought, in this game. The ultra-deep Dodgers against the ultra-shallow Nationals, who, yes, due to some bad circumstances, had Alex Avila as the starting second baseman on Thursday night. Well, the Dodgers also have a bunch of guys, and not just backups, a bunch of their regulars can play all over the field. And so they can move guys outfield to infield wherever. So when things come up, when there's emergencies, they're pretty much always available to have somebody play who's not totally out of position. And this is where, and we've mentioned this before, but this is where the Nationals roster construction came into play. You know who was on the bench for this game is Ryan Zimmerman. He's an infielder. He's played the infield throughout his career. They could not put him at third base or second base for this game. They were not comfortable doing that, or he was not comfortable doing that. It's been seven years now since he played third base. And as far as I can tell, there's never even been a thought or attempt to see if he could do it again. He just cannot make the throws because of his shoulder and whatever other issues he's had over the years. So what you have on this team is two players who only play first base. Now, when everyone else is healthy, that's great. That's a nice combo to have. But when you're going with a short bench, that's only been four players to begin with for a while. 
and one of those on the bench can only play first base and nothing else, it really limits your maneuverability. And so I think that's among the reasons that they wound up in this kind of situation. Most teams would have had somebody else who can play multiple positions and play a middle infield position or play an outfield position to then move an outfielder in whatever to not be in a, in a spot where 34-year-old Alex Avila is playing second base. Yeah, it's not good. You know, sports across the board are going in much more of a positionless direction. You see this in basketball. You see this in football. You see this in baseball with teams like the Dodgers and the Rays. Like you just said, guys who can play a bunch of different spots. The Nationals are old school in a lot of ways, right? They are a starting pitching dependent team, old school, older roster, old school. You know, the Nats are certainly open to analytics, but they're not all in on analytics like some other teams are, old school. And this thing of having, you know, position inflexibility as the Nats have, that's a very old school way of putting together a roster. And I think it's something they really do need to address this coming offseason. I mean, you're not going to fix it this season, but getting caught like this with your pants down and Alex Avila having to play second, even with, yes, like a number of bad things lining up for this to happen, it's not a good look. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Here's the runner going to pitch, swing and a line drive toward Avila, who makes the catch in the shortstop position to retire the side with a big smile on his face. That is a line drive to the second baseman on the left side of the infield. His fielding percentage is 1,000. So the Nationals go with this reconfigured infield, and hopefully it doesn't have to last long. We'll see what ends up going down with that. Oh, by the way, your starting shortstop on Thursday night, Starling Castro, did have another ribby hit. The Starling Castro tear continues with a one-out RBI single in the bottom of the fourth, though we got caught trying to steal second base for the second out on what looked like a failed hit and run. I don't know if this was addressed after the game or not, but watching the replay, Castro, while running to second base, looks back at home plate while he's running towards second base, so pretty clearly looked like a hit and run. Avila, though, never swung, so I don't know if he missed the sign or what happened there, but that clearly did not play out the way it was supposed to. We didn't get a chance to ask about that one. Unfortunately, there was a lot of other (laughs) topics to discuss after the game. I'm glad you brought up the bottom of the fourth because there were a few things going on there. Yes, the caught stealing. And then we talked about Corbin and whether or not to pull him from the game. Well, he came up to bat with the bases loaded in the bottom of the fourth. And they're ahead two to one. And if this is a nine-inning game, you're really not thinking in terms of pinch hitting for him. But again, if you're looking at the radar and you have a sense – that this game may not be going on much longer. Do you try to go for the kill right there 
and send Zimmerman up. Now, again, they're dealing with two-player bench healthy for this game, Zimmerman and Para, and that's it. So it would have been a pretty bold move to make. But in hindsight, given how we know they were only going to play five innings, that would have been a nice spot to try to do that, tack on some runs and maybe change the way the game went. Now, Davey, I asked him sort of generically about if he was aware of how close the weather was and would that impact any of his decisions. And he said, when you're on the field, you don't know, you know, you don't know what's going on. I see the umpire talking to John Turnauer, but we were trying to play the game, try to play, play to win, you know, every inning. The head groundskeeper, John Turnauer, is coming over and informing umpires, but he made it seem like he was under the impression it was still a little further away. They knew it was going to rain, but they didn't think it was coming that soon. And the bottom of the fifth ends, they're about to bring Wander Suero in to start the top of the sixth. And John Turnauer goes up to uh, Laz Diaz, home plate umpire, says, let's cover the field right now. It's about to hit. And sure enough, it was like within 90 seconds, the heavens just opened up and it was really nasty. So they they made the right call there. I guess it snuck up on them a little faster than they thought. But I guess it's easy for us to say we're not down there in the moment. But it kind of felt like that might have been worth the gamble of saying, let's go for it right here, anticipating this game may not go nine innings. Yeah, I think they were really fearful of the lack of depth that they had for this game, which is kind of a double whammy with the lack of depth because A, it harms you because you had to go with the reconfigured infield, but then B, it can harm your decision making and it can sort of hamstring you if you're Davey, right? You can't take these kinds of risks that we're talking about here because you're so fearful of, I only have a two-man bench and you know my bullpen right now is down to the likes of Andres Machado and Kyle Lobstein. And so, well, if I need to get another inning out of Patrick Corbin, then so be it. Of course, it looks even worse because of what ended up happening to Corbin in that fifth inning. Nats scored a run in the bottom of the first. Good to see this. You know, early inning scoring has been a thing for the Nats lately. It continued in this game, which, yes, was a loss on Thursday night. But Kyle Schwarber, first pitch, opposite field, leadoff double to left field in the game. He also had a leadoff five-pitch walk in the bottom of the fifth. Man, it is funny with Schwarber as a leadoff batter. He does seem to lead off a lot of innings. It, it's really played out like that in recent weeks. And Juan Soto. You know, another good plate appearance for him. You know, again, not hitting for power, but whatever. A run scoring hit, a first pitch, Ruby single, a center field. Was good to see that. Josh Bell had a leadoff single in this game coming in the Nationals. One run fourth inning. He continues to look confident at the plate. So, you know, we'll never know what would have ended up happening from an offensive standpoint. You only scored the two runs over the five innings. But you did see some guys contribute here in this game. And Victor Robles uh, in the game as the number eight batter, another walk for Robles, 26 walks now on the year. This is the one thing he has done well offensively this season. Draw the walk, 26 walks for Robles now. He had 35 all of the 2019 regular season. So that Robles on base percentage, which is like the only thing worth bragging about for Robles offensively this year, up to 344 uh, on the season. It's a good job by him with that. But, uh, you know, so you had your moments offensively. Of course, you ended up needing a whole lot more than what you ended up providing. Yeah, and that's where, you know, it's a, it ends up being a short game, so we really want to evaluate it that much. But also, the Dodgers took a very, I thought, aggressive approach in their pitching. They went with the opener in this one, Al, and I kind of liked it in this case. By using the lefty, Victor Gonzalez, to start the game or to open the game against Schwarber and then Harrison and Soto and Bell, he's playing a matchup, essentially, in the first inning. Now, it didn't totally work because Nat's got to run off him. But then he goes to another right-hander to get out of the first, and then he finally goes to his supposed starter, Gonsolin, to start the second, and he goes three innings. So I kind of like that strategy, and this was the first time that we've actually seen an opponent do something to try to stop Kyle Schwarber, and that was using the lefty opener in the first inning. And then they actually had, a, I don't know if they showed it on TV, they got a four-man outfield 
in his second at bat, I think, in the third inning, basically saying, go ahead and hit it on the on the infield, on the ground. We don't care. We're putting a four-man outfield out there because of the way you're hitting right now. This is the first time now we've seen a team actually show some respect to Kyle Schwarber that he has deserved for a few weeks. Yeah, it's crazy how it is, but that's kind of where you're at. I mean, there are some pretty noticeable splits for Schwarber on the season. 693 OPS versus lefty pitching, 981 OPS versus righty pitching. So that right there is why you try something like that. But Schwarber still comes through with that leadoff double and what ends up being a one-run first inning. Well, the Nationals started a lefty pitcher on Thursday night, and the lefty pitcher continued to have a bad season. Patrick Corbin, in this 6-2 range-shortened five-inning loss, was the Nats starter, and he ends up giving up six runs, five earned in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, including two homers and six singles. Only issued a walk, but he also only had just two strikeouts. And while, you know, he did begin with the three scoreless innings, and you like that, I think when you're Patrick Corbin and you're on a six-year $140 million contract and your ERA is over five coming into the game, it's enough of this patting him on the back for Willie did this, Willie did that. He's not getting the job done, and he continued not to get the job done in this game on Thursday night. Gives up the unearned run in the top of the fourth and then just completely falls apart in a five-run fifth inning. Lead-off homer by A.J. Pollock. Full count single by the pinch-hitting Steven Souza Jr. Nice to see Steven still around. One-out full count walk of Chris Taylor. One-out single by Justin Turner. And then the big blow. A one-out grand slam by Max Muncie on a bomb to right field. That was some shot by Muncie off Corbin, a projected 410 feet per stat cast. And then Corbin gave up another hit, a one-out single to Cody Bellinger before being mercifully pulled by Davey Martinez in favor of Andres Machado. Corbin had looked better lately, but here we are back again talking about another bad outing for Patrick Corbin. The ERA for the season is up to 556, and this is over 16 starts. That's half a season, right? A good pitcher, a healthy pitcher makes about 32 starts in a year. This isn't some bad start to a season. This is a bad season, and uh, it got worse on Thursday night. Yeah, look, the season's going to hit the halfway mark this weekend uh, after Saturday's game. It'll be game 81, so it's not early anymore for any of them, and certainly not for Corbin, who has been there. I know he missed a couple days at the start of the season on the COVID list, but otherwise he's been there and healthy, and that's not an issue at all. It's the one big blow-up inning. That can't happen. You give up a leadoff homer to A.J. Pollock, all right. But the way he let that inning devolve from there, and I'll be honest, when Max Muncy came to the plate with the bases loaded, you just felt something bad was going to happen. I didn't know if it was going to be a grand slam, but you felt something bad was going to happen. You could just sense where this was going. And I'm not faulting Davey for leaving him in at that point. He's your starter. He should be able to get through that. But if you're going to be a $140 million starting pitcher on a team that essentially now you're your number two starter with Strasburg out, you have to be able to get through that inning without letting that happen. It's one thing to give up a run or two. You can't let the whole thing spiral out of control like that and then give up a no-doubter on just a hanging slider right over the plate to Max Muncy. You just can't let that happen. And he did let it happen, and it's not the first time he's let that happen. You gave the numbers. We're halfway through a season. He's got an ERA well north of five. That's a problem. They need him to be better than that. It's concerning because you can't count on John Lester right now. You can't count on Patrick Corbin right now. You have no idea when Steven Strasburg is coming back. Eric Fetty, you know, hopefully isn't out for long, but it's an oblique, so who knows how long that lasts for. Joe Ross is Joe Ross. Sometimes he's good, but sometimes he's not so good. Beyond Max Scherzer, you have no certainty in your rotation. Beyond Max and our guy Paolo. Yeah, I was going to say, you're leaving somebody out there. You have no certainty in this rotation. 
And, you know, it's so funny. Just a few weeks ago, we said, well, the path to victory is pitching and defense. Now, all of a sudden, it feels like the path to victory is you got to mash. You got to hit a bunch of homers because you can't count on the pitching here. Given the state of the bullpen and the extreme uncertainty with this rotation, it almost feels like the Nats may have to follow a formula of trying to win 8-7 night in, night out with the way the pitching stands right now. It's amazing what a roller coaster this has been. I know. <laughs> I mean, what, what you just said, you're absolutely right. What you just said, and if you had said that two weeks ago, you would have been laughed off the stage. Get out of here. What are you talking about? They're going to have to win games slugfest? No, that's not how this team is built. That's not going to be their path to victory. That's what it is right now, at least. So thankfully, the offense has been pretty good here lately. I don't know. I, I do feel like ultimately, you can look at some of the individuals and say they aren't doing their job this or that pitching-wise. But I feel like collectively as a staff, it's still pretty good who they are. Uh, maybe not quite as dominant. You know, they had that stretch where they had like a one-point-something ERA over two weeks. Maybe that's too much to ask. But I do feel like this is still a pretty good pitching staff in the end. But they've got to get Fetty back, of course, and they've got to get Strasburg back. And that'll put a lot of the other pieces into place. And Daniel Hudson, who uh, is making some good progress, at least, in his recovery from the elbow inflammation. So we'll see. But both for this year and beyond, Corbin just has to be better. Now, he was throwing harder than he has all year, 94, 95. I think he may have even hit 96 at one point, if I remember right. So that wasn't the issue. Remember last year, we talked about his velocity being down. This was just he let one in and get completely away from him. And especially against a good lineup like the Dodgers, you just can't do that. No. And uh, it's been too much of this with Patrick Corbin over the last two years now. And um, the Strasburg situation is clearly the most concerning. It's more money. He's a higher profile guy. And he just can't stay healthy long enough to make more than like, you know, two or three consecutive starts. Corbin at least is staying healthy. But I don't know. I guess you could kind of argue that that's worse because at least with Strasburg, when he does pitch, you feel like he's good. Corbin is seemingly healthy. He's posting. And he's just not producing. And there doesn't seem to be anything close to an easy fix for this guy. Bad in 2020 and so far again bad in 2021. Nats only ends up using Andres Machado out of the bullpen on Thursday night. He faces two batters, bottom of the fifth, gives up a single, but then gets the third out of the inning. So the bullpen, in theory, should be fresh for game two against the Dodgers. Friday night at 7.05, Max Scherzer versus Julio Urias. Urias is good, but not great this season. ERA at 3.95 over 16 starts. It's actually not that good, but Urias is a pretty talented guy. Scherzer has obviously been great this year, but the issue with Scherzer lately has been he just hasn't lasted very long in his outings. He's made two starts since he had that 10-day injured list in due to the groin inflammation. The initial start, 3-2 win at Philadelphia on June 22nd, lasted for just five innings due to throwing 106 pitches. He was good in the game, one run, five innings, eight strikeouts, but only lasted for the five innings. And then his most recent outing, 5-1 win at Miami last Sunday afternoon, one run in six innings, seven strikeouts. Again, was good, but just the six innings, he threw 102 pitches. It'll be nice that the bullpen will be fresher, but this is Scherzer. This is like the one true, sure thing you feel like you have with your rotation right now until you get to Palo on Saturday. But uh, would be nice to see Max go seven or eight innings on Friday night. Yeah. And look, this is a Dodgers lineup that is known for being able to work count and make you work. And we remember seeing Max in the playoffs against them. Uh, We've seen them do it to a lot of good pitchers. So somehow get those quick outs, especially early on, avoid that 25 pitch, you know, first inning that he sometimes has. And uh, if you can do that, now you're talking seven innings or more from him, which would be very nice to get on this uh, on this start. Like you said, yeah, the the bullpen is fresh, but you're probably assuming you're going to need a good number of them on Saturday. 
after Espino and then maybe uh, also in relief of Ross on Sunday. So when you have Max on the mound, you want to get as much out of him and hope you don't need to use very much of your bullpen. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit BigTrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You mentioned Daniel Hudson. Might he be back before the All-Star break, or you don't think so? It's going to be close. I think Finnegan's going to be back maybe within a matter of days. He has been throwing. Uh, he's running. The hamstring is fine. He seemed to think – we talked to him before the game Thursday, and he seemed to think he's very close days away. Hudson feels good, but what he doesn't know is, like, if he were to go out and pitch in a game one day, would he be available the next day? So I, I think the question is – he needs to throw a little bit more and see how the elbow responds. So he's going to throw another bullpen session on Friday. So that'll be two of them now. And I'll have a sense of how the arm feels after all that. My guess is they'd probably want to have him go face hitters somewhere, whether it was a simulated game against teammates or even a quick minor league rehab assignment. So, you know, maybe before the end of next week, while they're out West, they could get it done. But I think they want to be careful with him and not rush that one back because it is his elbow and he's so important to them. And you can't let this become something bigger. Whereas Finnegan with a hamstring injury, you know, he's been throwing throughout. So I, I think they're maybe a little more apt to bring him back quicker. He's only been out 10 days, so he may not even need a rehab assignment. So we'll see. I could see him in the next day or two, maybe coming back in Hudson. May, like maybe it happens next week, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they said, let's just wait till after the All-Star break to be safe. All right. Also on Thursday night, we learned of All-Star game starters. The All-Star game is coming up Tuesday night, July 13th at Coors Field in Denver. No Nationals are All-Star Game starters. That doesn't mean that you won't have any Nationals as All-Stars. But Juan Soto is not a starting outfielder. Trey Turner is not the starting shortstop. I don't think anyone is necessarily stunned by this, but from a perspective of merit, 
you certainly could make the case that Trey deserves to be the starting shortstop. It's not easy. I mean, it's, you know, it's one spot that you're fighting for here. And the baseball right now is loaded at shortstop. But to what extent to you, was there a compelling case for Trey and maybe even Juan to be a starter for the All-Star game? I don't think there was really much case for Juan to be there. And, and you know, he made the top nine, so he made it through that phase two of voting. He wound up finishing ninth out of the nine behind Bryce Harper, who finished eighth. And I think Trey deserved to be in the top three, certainly, to advance to the uh, to the phase two portion of this. But to think that he was going to beat out Tatis, I think, was probably too much to ask, even though we all here can tell you that he, how good he is and that he stacks up with the best of them. And I feel like Trey's going to find his way there to Denver, that somebody's going to make sure he gets onto that team somehow. Soto, maybe not, because the numbers just aren't there this year compared to in the past. Look, he's going to make plenty of all-star games before it's all said and done. I don't think they're worried about that. But I could see a scenario where Max Scherzer and Trey Turner are your representatives on the all-star team. Maybe Brad Hand. I haven't really looked at the other relievers and what the depth of that position is. But they may not have more than that. And it's you know commentary on the rest of the league, but also a Nationals team that, while they've gotten hot here lately in the big picture, they have not performed up to what they could have. Here's another thing that's disappointing. If this is a year ago and they were able to have the All-Star game where the Nationals were like it was their all-star game. Davey would have been the manager and his whole staff would have been there and he would have had a say in bringing guys. You always see it. The manager ends up getting to pick one or two of his guys and they end up with five or six all-stars. And they were denied that because they didn't get to have it. Dave Roberts is the manager this year. So that may cost them in their all-star selections. Yeah. Among the many things that the Nats got gypped out of because of the pandemic and off winning a World Series title was Davey Martinez being the National League's manager in an all-star game. Personally, I never really get that into all-star game selections. I think it's it's a fun thing. I mean, it's it's good to promote the game. I think it's really silly, though, the extent to which people use all-star selections as a measure of greatness. I mean, literally, you make an all-star game, it means what? You've had a good half season? Like, why are we judging people based on half seasons? But I do get that, you know, look, it helps to promote the game. You could very much argue is the best of all the all-star games in terms of the big four sports in baseball. And I would say this, If you view the All-Star game truly as a marketing tool and not so much about rewarding the best players, there is a case for Juan Soto. Like if you're trying to grow the game and present the bright young stars in baseball, there is an argument to be made for, hey, Juan Soto should be there and should be on display on the national stage in that game. I think you're right. Based on the season he's had, he probably isn't All-Star worthy in terms of literally being among the top outfielders in the National League this season. Although, you know, it's not like it's completely ridiculous if you argue that he is. But if you're trying to grow the game, promote the game, I think there is a strong case of, hey, this guy's great. Maybe he hasn't had his best first half of a season ever, but it's not like he's been some complete insult to the game of baseball. And get him out there at Coors Field on July 13th. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it is the all-star game. And I think sometimes we get too caught up in the, oh, well, this guy has better numbers over the last three months than this guy. Well, the player number one isn't a big name that, you know, and yeah, it's nice for them to get to say they went to the all-star game. But I agree. I think it's more about having the big names and helping promote the game. And you can't tell me that having Soto, Acuna, and Tatis together wouldn't be good for baseball. And chances are we won't get to see all three of them together this year. There will be plenty of opportunities over the years for that to happen. And don't forget, hashtag Paolo for Denver. We have not (laughs) forgotten that. Keep that hashtag trending. Speaking of that guy, the t-shirts are in. The secret weapon t-shirts that we've been promising you 
are in. Get yours because they will certainly go quickly. Go to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. The secret weapon. He is here. He has been great for us. We're going to see him on Saturday night. The t-shirts are in. Get yours at natschatpodcast.square.site. Keep the feedback coming as well. You can always tweet us at nats underscore chat. You can email us as well, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, you can email us in written form or via voice memo. Just record yourself speaking into your smartphone and then email the file to us. If you don't already subscribe to the Nats Chat Podcast, please consider doing so. This way the pod will show up on your phone, on your tablet uh, every day without you having to take the time to download it. Also, please give the podcast a five-star rating and write uh, just like a one-sentence review. Those things help out the podcast a lot. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now a half swing and a chopper up the middle. It's Avila to his left. Behind the bag at second. And the throw to first for the outs. Two away. Alex Avila, the second baseman in a shortstop position, made that play. Two out and nobody on. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.